Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and I am here with Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, I want to turn you to Russia today, which you've been writing on of late, and it's probably an even hotter topic now than it was when you published your most recent piece on this. So why don't we deal with the immediate issue here up front and then sort of delve into some of the historical context. We now have, over the last week or so, these press reports which are claiming that the, the CIA has come to the conclusion that the Russian involvement in the presidential election, most notably the leaking of the, the DNC emails and the John Podesta emails, was intended to help out Donald Trump. And to be clear, this is not something the CIA has officially said. This is something that the press is saying that people inside the CIA are saying. So we've known for a while that it looked like the Russians were behind this hacking. But this is the first time that you've had people supposedly in the intelligence community saying it was affirmatively pro-Trump instead of just trying to sow doubt about sort of the electoral process in general. And now you have Democrats in such high dudgeon over this that they're proposing that members of the Electoral College be briefed on this uh, before counting their votes. So uh, what's your reaction to all this controversy, Victor? Well, it may be true, but what I'm worried about is the timing. I think it was Guccifer who we were told in 2015, maybe as early as March, was a Romanian uh, hacker who was a contract player for the Kremlin. That came from the administration and also some of the intelligence agencies, and he had hacked into Sidney Blumenthal's emails. And then that storyline was pretty much constant, and even I think at one point Josh Ernest said that it was quite stunning. He said that the administration that doesn't retaliate for much, you know, Iranians can hijack Americans on the high seas or Putin can invade Crimea, but he said that the hacking would uh, earn a commiserate, and proportionate response from the Obama administration. That was well before the election. Then that was dropped. And so now all of a sudden, we've got this sense of urgency that the Russians are sabotaging the election. And then we add it into a second context that this comes after Comey supposedly was responsible for the election. Supposedly the Electoral College's structural inadequacies was responsible for the elections. Supposedly Donald Trump's uh, aberrant and white racist uh, campaign was responsible for the election. And so in that context, I think it's a little bit hysterical. So the Russians did do it. And so um, they had the effect of helping Trump. Would that be bad? Yes. But did it affect the election to the point the electors left? No, because I mean, it had nothing to do with the fact that no one ever proved anything in the WikiLeaks was wrong. Comey, we were told, had nothing to do with the Russians, obviously, if that was a, a factor. Uh, the Obamacare implosion that came out before the election had nothing to do with it. Hillary's candidacy, or its inadequacies, I should say, had nothing to do with it. So there were so many other factors. This was a minor, I think, criterion. But it's part of a narrative where the Democrats were looking for reasons to explain the inexplicable, i.e. that a supposedly buffoonish Donald Trump with half their money and no ground game uh, defeated Hillary Clinton, the sure winner. Let me get you to weigh in on just one more aspect of sort of the current controversy here, because throughout the campaign and now the transition, 
there have been a number of people in Donald Trump's orbit who've been criticized a lot from the right, probably more so than the left, for for being too close to Russia. Paul Manafort, who was running the campaign for a while, uh, Mike Flynn, who's the incoming national security advisor. Now, uh, Rex Tillerson, who just the same day that you and I are recording this was named as Trump's nominee to be secretary of state. And the critics seem to be implying that this is all telegraphing an administration that's going to be excessively soft on Russia. Do you, do you share any of those concerns? Uh, no, because I'm, I guess I'm so jaded and cynical. I mean, I didn't hear any of those when Hillary Clinton's State Department approved a sale of 20%, 20% of American uh, uranium holdings to a Russian-affiliated company that had given $2.5 million, the Clinton Foundation, and I think Bill Clinton and got over $400,000 speaking fee for it. I didn't hear much when John Podesta, I think, was so worried about his 65,000 shares in a Russian-affiliated company that he set up a, a dummy company to hide it. No one mentioned that. And then that's in the context, too, of we got to remember that when Obama came into office, they pushed a red reset button in Geneva and said that really the deterioration in relations was because of George Bush. And George Bush at one time had said he'd looked into Putin's eyes and seen a true, true, truthful person. And then over the next six years, uh, when they went into Osatia, the Russians did, then, then Bush reacted. And that reaction caught, was a reset in itself of his earlier policy. And then Obama said, I'm going to have a second reset, essentially. And then we saw that he winked and nodded when Obama, when um, Putin went into Crimea. He didn't do much when he went into eastern Ukraine. He told uh, Mr. Mebeded uh, on a hot mic intercept that he told, he said, tell Vladimir I'll be more flexible after the election, which implied he couldn't be truthful or transparent about the concessions he would give because it would hurt his reelection champion uh, uh cause he said in the i think it was a second debate that Mitt romney was out of the 80s because he saw russia as an existential threat he invited the russians in for the first time in 40 years into the middle east uh to bail out the red lines when Kerry sort of said well maybe putin will help us find the wmd we won't have to bomb i mean i could go on forever but we forget that obama reset a reset and then that didn't work and then unlike Bush's reset, which they said was failed because Bush was too mean to Putin, they said their reset failed essentially because Putin was too mean to them, that they had bent backwards, bent over backwards, and Putin hadn't reciprocated. So now we're in the third reset. We're saying that Trump is trying to reset the Obama reset, and they're very angry about it, and they flipped 180 degrees, whereas Bush was too mean to Russia. Now Trump is too nice to Russia. The only thing that I can see is a common denominator in this mess is that when a president is considered weak, like Bush's uh, 30% approval rating in 2008, the Iraq war, Katrina, Social Security reform debacle, Putin pounces and tries to carve off Ossetia. When Obama was uh, reeling after the midterm failures of 2014, his popularity went down to 42%, I think, then Putin smelled opportunity and he pounced. But uh, I don't think that anybody's I – I think the Trump campaign is trying to reset in the way that Obama tried to reset and the way that 
Bush tried to reset. Only the difference is that they're doing it from a less idealistic point of view, and they're just saying, well, he, he's a thug, but thugs have interest, and we'll find out what they are and cut a deal with them. Whereas Obama thought, we're going to make Russia a democratic constitutional society by jawboning Putin and lecturing him on human rights while being essentially weak uh, to his aggression. You mentioned that exchange from back in the 2012 uh, presidential debates between Mitt Romney and President Obama. Romney, I, I believe the, the terms on which Romney was characterizing Russia at that point was the leading geostrategic threat to the United States. Has, he, has Romney been validated on that front, Victor? How do, you, how do you think about the sort of scope of the potential Russian threat? Well, Romney's been validated, and he says he's been validated in pinpointing uh, Putin's threat to the borders of what we call Europe, but Russia calls the for former Soviet Union, i.e. Uh, Ukraine and the Baltic states. And in other words, he can change those borders in a way that ISIS cannot. But if you look at the actual number of dead and the mayhem and the threat to Europe by with three million migrants, then I think it's still radical Islam has been a, a greater thorn in our side than Putin has. And I think what Trump is trying to do, and I don't, as I said in that piece, I'm not sure it's going to work, but he's, he's going, as he always does to people, and says, let's just forget about what we disagree on, which is everything about human rights. And you're Orthodox, we're Christian, you don't like radical Islamic terrorism, we don't like it. Uh, we don't need your oil, you don't need our oil, we both have nuclear weapons, that'd be a disaster if we got into a fight over a no-fly zone or something. So let's just destroy ISIS, and that's all we're going to work on. And then once we've done that, let's cut a deal. And then his critics would say to Trump, well, yeah, but you empowered him by working with him in the way that maybe we did in this World War II, working with Stalin over Hitler. But then Trump would say, ah, but now I'm going to try to flip him away from Iran so he'll see that that bomb is not in Russia's interest, or I'm going to try to flip him away from Assad. Who knows what he thinks he can do? I have a feeling that every administration, like the Palestinian issue, looks at the Russian reset as an opportunity for diplomatic points, and they're all sorely disappointed. The, the last thing that I'll ask you then, you said that you're not entirely confident that this strategy will work. What would an ideal Russia policy look like from this administration? What would make you confident that Trump's got this situation under control? I think if he actually saw uh, tangible results, what would they be? They would be pretty easy to quantify and calibrate. Number one, you would see Russians back out of eastern Ukraine. You would see them back away from the borders of the Baltic states. You would see some limited uh, easing up of internal repression. You would see uh, the end of the cyber attacks. If he could point to things like that and then reassure Putin that we have no interest on, I don't think we should make Ukraine a NATO member. I don't think we should, um, you know, now that the Baltic states are NATO members, we have to defend them. But it was not a wise policy to take former Soviet republics and put them in NATO and say, we're using the nuclear resources of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization to pledge that you'll be free from aggression when we had no intention of ever doing that. And that's part of the problem. Putin is basically saying, you broke your word. 
you, you put your NATO alliance right on my border and I know you better than you know yourselves. And the last thing that people in Florence or Edinburgh want to do is to die for Tallinn or, you know, Lithuania. You just don't want to do it. And I'm going to embarrass you and break up NATO over this. And so I think Trump will try to address that. Please don't go into the Baltic states. And if you don't go into the Baltic states, you've got a partner fighting uh, ISIS. And then we'll deal with Hezbollah, Syria, Iran later. And I think Trump and his Cunning thinks that, wow, these are northern European peoples and they have a Christian heritage and they don't have anything in common with Iran. And why are they helping Iran get a bomb that can threaten them as much as it threatens us? And they have terrorists just like we do. So I think that's what he's looking at. He's in a better position than Obama because Obama and Bush started their resets when we were oil dependent. And Russia was a big exporter. Now that we're oil independent and the price has crashed, we don't need overseas oil. And, and Russia very much needs cash because its imports are fallen in their cash value precipitously. You know what? I told you that would be the last question, Victor, but I'm going to sneak one more in here because yeah. I think I'd be remiss to not bring this up in this conversation. So you mentioned Donald Trump's cunning there a moment ago. What do you make of the fact that at the same time that there is – uh, rhetorically anyway, sort of a, a more temperate approach to Russia that Trump seems to have amped things up a little bit vis-a-vis -vis China? Well, Trump is a businessman and his way of, and I think it's a very good point you made, and his way of thinking Russia does not represent a um, rival to the United States as an importer and exporter of sophisticated goods. Russia is wealthy because of its natural resources, timber, coal, natural gas, oil, uh, foodstuffs. It always has been. It's not competing with us with finished good in the way that China is. So in this way of thinking, Trump says, well, we don't need any of the resources that Russia has. And it's just a threat as far as military power. So I'll try to nullify the military power, perhaps. But China is becoming rich, as Trump thinks, because it's undercutting us vis-a-vis -vis its currency. It's using rig methods of uh, production. It has tariffs on imported goods that it expects not to have on its exports. And therefore, it, we're running up these huge uh, lopsided trade imbalances with China in a way that we are not with Russia. And therefore, the Chinese and, and a businessman's mind are the much greater threat, whereas a diplomat looks at geo strategy and says, well, Russia's got a lot more nuclear weapons. It's it's got a it's got a history of anti-Americanism more than maybe even China. And so that's a greater threat. But for a businessman, China is a lot greater threat. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening to the Classicist Podcast. Remember to visit hoover.org to read all the latest from Professor Hansen. We'll be back here with you soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.